Hello, dear listeners. It's Pleasant. I created with my darling Rita Stevens, uh, who is our community leader in Thrive and in Lola, we created the seasonal soulful self-care guide for you. So what it is, is essentially some questions and some key areas for you to think about and consider and write down and map out for your own life each season. So go ahead and jump on the website, littleom.com, L-I-L-O-M-M.com, and pick up your copy of your seasonal soulful self-care guide uh, and enjoy. I can't wait to hear what practices and what rhythms and routines you set in your own life this season. We're having like hilarious <laughs> how long it has taken us to have this conversation. <laughs> Let's no, just no. say <laughs> it's really been something. Um, so I want to just give people a little bit of context about why I invited you on and why I want them to hear your voice. Okay, and your story. So we met at the conference last year, the American, the AAUW, American Association of University Women. And we, I like, I know when I walked into the room and saw you, I was like, oh, I'm going to go sit next to her so I can learn more about her. <laughs> <laughs> and then, wait, what is your, what is your business card say? Um, the Beyonce of Academia. Yes. Which is also when I fell in love with you when you handed me that. And we were, um, exchanging essential oils on the panel <laughs> yes, we were. and the panel was really interesting in fact I'd love to hear um, what you thought about it because our topic was uh, the downside of social media um, and how it's affecting women in our country and at the university and in uh, higher ed and so give everyone a little bit of a sense of what your, why you were invited to that panel and what you do for work um, and anything else you feel like adding. Sure. Um, so one of my mentor sister friends, she, um, I met her when I was a graduate student, student at Bowie State and she had the opportunity to speak on the panel, but she was unable to do it. Mm. So she, um, called me and she was like would you like to be on this panel um I know you've been you know doing your research at other conferences and it really aligns with this and I think that you'll be a good fit so they kind of just linked me up and put me on the panel and I was free that day to do it Uh great um it was interesting because I wasn't sure exactly what the uh dynamic of the panel was going to be Uh usually I'm usually the youngest Uh uh-huh um, on the most of the academic panels I sit on, and I'm usually um, the only person that doesn't have have like a PhD, so I'm like the only master's 
Mm-hmm. Holder, so mm-hmm. it was exciting to be on a panel with like different ranges of people. Mm-hmm. I, was still the, I was still the youngest person there, which I which is to be expected. <laughs> um, but I think um, I was excited to be the only woman of color, well, black woman on the panel, mm-hmm. um, especially because where we were sitting, we had like two rows of like beautiful queens that were like really excited and intrigued and what was mm. going on. And it was really nice to see their facial expressions when I was explaining my experience with social media and the research I do. Mm-hmm. So to go into what I actually do, I am a professor at Bowie State University. I teach in the communications department. I'm the youngest professor. Woo-hoo! Um, and <laughs> I take pride in that. Unless there's someone younger than me and I haven't met them, but I'm the youngest professor to my knowledge. How old are um, you? Just so I'm, people... I'm 28. Okay. Um, I focus on um, online harassment towards Black women, specifically on Twitter. That is what my entire master's research was about. Mm. I also um, have research dealing with imposter syndrome using Solange's A Seat at the Table album as an antidote of how to um, work through imposter syndrome and self-care. I do oracle and tarot readings and crystal healing. I have a blog where I write about my own experiences with mental health and spirituality Mm -hmm. and I also just recently started doing um, YouTube videos and IGTV videos to assist people with um, better taking care of themselves and kind of working through um, the different nuances we get from our traumatic childhoods (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) that kind of like trickle over into our adulthood Um, Mm. so yeah that's just a little bit about me and the things that I do Okay, tell me more about the thesis and using a seat at the table. How, tell me more about that. Okay, so my thesis was inspired by Solange's song called Mad, where she talks about how she has a lot to be upset about. Okay. And I've always been a very um, socially aware person. I've always been aware of... Um, things that were happening around me, how they were impacting me, people who look like me in my community. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I was very adamant on was on Twitter. I used I used to use Twitter a lot. I do not have Twitter anymore for okay. personal reasons. Yep. But I used to use Twitter a lot, and I was very vocal about how I felt about things and very um, assertive and confident in what I had to say about the world around me and how I felt. Mm-hmm. What I noticed is that Black women were being attacked at record high numbers from all different types of people for just stating how they feel. Um, There was a lot of doxing going on, cyberbullying, revenge porn, all types of things. And what what triggered me to start writing about and researching about this, because there isn't any research about the harassment of Black women online. It does not exist. Um, So I would be one of the, hopefully one of the pioneers to really do the research for it, um, is when Leslie Jones was... um, harassed during the Ghostbuster movie release and I looked at how Twitter handled that and how they didn't handle it and then I also looked at other cases of women of color particularly black women who had been put in these um, compromising positions of being harassed and not feeling safe online and how um, there weren't any real guidelines for their protection so that kind of um, pushed me into my research and after I did that research and I did my thesis and everything like that, and I did my my um, focus group where I had 10, 10 to 12 women from the D.C. area, and we met up and we kind of just talked about their experiences using Twitter and stuff. 
it made me think about other things that women of color may be experiencing while using the internet. And the first thing that came to mind is something that all women really suffer from is imposter syndrome. The idea of that, you know, everything you're doing is by chance and luck. It's not by the hard work that you've been doing and that someone's going to expose you as being fraudulent. And I um, was blessed with the opportunity to work with one of my friends to present research on how we use the Solange album, certain songs to work through the cycle of understanding that this is a, this is imposter syndrome and how do I work my way out of it and kind of like that that cyclical um, cycle the circle of having mm-hmm. to constantly work through that because imposter syndrome never goes away but once you have the tools um, to work through it and identify it you can kind of snap yourself out of it quickly so what I've been doing with that research is we presented it um, at a conference in Ta- in Townsend uh, which we went over really really well and I also did a presentation for um, black in grad school they had like an online symposium and I did a presentation on um, schooling life Um, it was like my little tribute to Beyonce because I'm obsessed Um, (laughs) um, it was called schooling life and it was talking about managing your expectations versus the reality and Mm. I talked about imposter syndrome while being in graduate school and how um, a lot of people Um, specifically in my community struggle with being um, the first in their family or the first in their friendship group to go forward with getting secondary degrees and PhDs and Mm -hmm. how that can really play a part in like your expectations versus like the reality of what's actually happening. So that's just kind of like um, what I do and what I research. So much, you know, my mind is, you know how I am with questions. Okay. So my (laughs) mind is like flying out of control. Like what about this? And what about this? And what about this? Okay. Why Twitter? Why do you think, what did you learn? And what have you learned? Why is Twitter this platform and what's underneath the attacks on black women? Well, Twitter is the most, um, Twitter, in my opinion, and from what I've done, the research and what I've noticed is that Twitter is a place where you can have a stream of consciousness with the interjection and the interaction of other people seamlessly. So you can just go on a rant and just tweet, 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 and people will interact with you. It's also a place where you can um, you can harass people and there will always be someone that agrees with you. So it's never seen as wrong. And I think that is what kind of like is the oil burning Mm. for the attacks on black women online because it's easy to gang up on a marginalized group when you know there are other people that use the same application, the same app, who feel the same way. And then you can create fake accounts. You can, um, you know, do whatever. You You can create... Twitter gangs of people who literally just dedicate their lives to exposing and degrading and tearing apart everyday women. And it's interesting because a lot of my research and anger stemmed from when I noticed that um, people would rally together for certain women on social media when they were being harassed. But when it was just, you know, maybe a regular black girl or someone who's just not as known. It was just kind of like, let her, you know, get thrown to the 
thrown to the sharks. Uh, but if it was a celebrity or a white woman, it would be like, let's boycott Twitter. There was a boycott Twitter hashtag. And I was so frustrated and fuming when I saw that because I was just mm. like, we should be boycotting Twitter every day if you guys are upset about the way they treat women, not just because this celebrity right, right. page was deleted or something. Right. So it's just, and then it's just everyone has access to everyone on Twitter. And that's why I had to leave Twitter because I noticed for myself, I found myself in a lot of like situations where the language was unsafe and mm. I knew that for my own mental health and wellness and for me to continue to grow as a um, a self-care coach to help other people get free, mm-hmm. I can't do that if I'm constantly <laughs> having the noise of Twitter and the mm-hmm. violence that people impose on women, whether it's a woman imposing violence on a woman or a man or whomever, mm-hmm. um, I can't be surrounded by that. It's, yeah, it's just it's too much, and especially because you start to absorb that energy. And of course, yeah. Everywhere, and it's already hard being like a black woman anyway. So yeah. like, to have to go online and have to deal with the same stuff, but like from thirty thousand people at a time, that's a lot. Totally, and I'm I am very naive about Twitter, just because I've never it's never been a platform I've used. So I want to educate myself as much as possible because it's, it's not something that I have any experience with. Like 10 years ago, a social media intern like linked my Facebook page or my blog to Twitter. So there's like a little own presence, but it's not actually ever been a human. (laughs) So it's, it's, I'm learning and, and trying to see what is the value, you know, um, especially with this bullying and especially perpetuating uh, conditioning and social um, norms that are not in alignment with anything that yeah. I believe and you believe like why you know why would I be part of something that allows that to happen so yes. what why do people want to be on it I love Twitter what you do you love about it? it I love the networking mm. I love being able to meet people from all walks of life and you can't love- get that on the other platforms you can but it's not as broad Mm-hmm. So on Twitter, mm-hmm. you don't have to be friends with people to see mm-hmm. um, information. The news hits Twitter first. When Mike mm-hmm. Brown was killed, Twitter knew first. Mm-hmm. He was killed in Ferguson. The first place we found out about it was on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So like journalism, like mobile journalism, mm-hmm. yep. is really, really like mm-hmm. big on Twitter. And that's what makes Twitter great because you can it's an access to information, which mm-hmm. is also a catch-22 because it's also an you know access to misinformation as well mm-hmm. and hate speech and things mm-hmm. like that so there's a lot of pros and cons of mm-hmm. twitter um i just happen to study the cons of twitter and yeah by, study, <laughs> and by studying it and researching it i realized that in order for me to continue my work i can know i can't be on there so this is something else I just want to like hear your thoughts on because I, because we've had some pretty intense private conversations around our own lives and our own superpowers and our own uh, sensitivities. And I know that something I think we're both probably thinking about is like, how do we do the work we want to do, stay educated, understand what's really happening, be awake and take care of ourselves and our sensitivities. Yeah. What do you do to take care of all of that? Like to, to manage all of that or balance all of that? I um, am a retired martyr. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I have officially gotten to a point where I no longer make space when I don't have it. Yeah. So for me, setting the first thing I had to do was unpack my own baggage, mm-hmm. codependency. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I did that, it was easy for me to let go of certain um, habits and patterns on social media specifically, mm-hmm. or even in just the work that I do, like the work that I do with other people, mm-hmm. it was easy for me to start setting boundaries for myself, so denying myself the urge to put myself in the front line or in the crossfire for everything. Mm-hmm. Although I may have like, I may possess the information, the information may be in me to tell someone else so they can be on the front lines because that's what they're good at. It doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean that I have to be on the front lines. And that was something that was really hard for me to realize. And mm-hmm. by not realizing that, I suffered from a lot of mental turmoil and emotional gymnastics because I was constantly putting myself on the front lines. And one of the things I had to learn was, like, self-care for me is not maintenance. It's not taking bubble baths, getting my nails done and stuff like that. Because that's just stuff I'm going to do anyway because that's just what I like to do. <laughs> Yeah, that's just what I do. <laughs> yeah, that's just what I do. Self-care for me is putting myself in positions to be uncomfortable, that's to true. learn how to be still, to learn how to be silent, to learn how to um, be present. That is what self-care looks like for mm-hmm. me. So mm-hmm. it can come to, you know, me, you know, having to, when I wake up in the morning, Sometimes just not turning the TV on, not, you know, watching YouTube videos, which I love to do, and just laying there in silence. It comes with me being by myself. It comes with me um, making myself journal or making myself have a meditation routine, whether it's sleep meditation, transcendental, excuse me, or any type of meditation, just making sure that I'm doing some form of that every day. Another thing that I noticed for me recently, especially since um, I recently got very sick, is that taking care of my physical body mm-hmm. because my stress and um, my empathic nature, it manifests in the form of illness. Mm-hmm. So I have to be careful. So for me, you know, putting myself in a line of fire was putting me on the road to, you know, die. Yeah. And that's scary, especially because I'm only 28 years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not, I have not lived that much life yet. I still mm-hmm. have a lot of life to live. And that, you know, put a lot of things in perspective for me to really, understand that I have to do certain coping tools thank God for my therapist she's the best to in order to take care of myself like I know my limitations I cannot do this I cannot Mm -hmm. do that um I can only especially with me like right now being sick and being home I can only see maybe one person a day or Mm -hmm. one person every two days like to come visit because I get drained easily Mm -hmm. but the old me because I wanted to be there for everyone and I needed to be needed. Oh, yeah, 15 people can come over. We can have a little get-together. We can do mm-hmm. this. Oh, I'm not feeling well. That's okay. I'm going to leave the house anyway and run errands and stuff. No, sometimes you just have to be still. And stillness is just something that I'm constantly learning. And that's my form of self-care, really, is stillness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think when you have so much energy towards your passion and early in your twenties, like when you, or in your teens and twenties and however long it's been through you, um, you know, I think finding a way to, um, commit to the longer term goals is just an act of maturity, um, that I know I had to go through also, cause I was just at 28, had that, had a huge burnout and, 
had to re I had to figure out another way to be because also very similar to you I was getting I was getting I'm so sensitive and doing the work I was doing at the intensity I was so angry because I was so exhausted and stressed out because I was seeing um so much violence so much um poverty poverty of education um the weight of teaching in DCPS and in the neighborhoods that I was teaching in and how I was teaching my intensity with teaching because I care so deeply about people. Like it's like both of us have to figure out how do we do what we love and help people without absorbing all their energy, all their trauma, all their pain, because that's our gift. And it also is what can bring us down, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. I just did a video last week where I talked about, being an ex-empath and my therapist yeah. me today about that she said you're not an ex-empath she said you're an ex-martyr yeah you set boundaries yeah um, she said you'll always have your empathic gifts, yeah. but you know how to use them to benefit yourself and not just benefit others and like you were saying yeah you get so passionate about your work that your passion can become anger and then eventually if you're not careful you can end up resenting what you thought you loved oh uh, I was res- yeah yeah. And I didn't want to get I didn't want to get to the point where I resented being a light for other people. Like I yeah. didn't want to get to a point where I was so exhausted with helping people that I just became detached and didn't help anyone. And numbing. Like I know mm-hmm. by the time I was done when I left, I was so numb. Uh shootings and Abuse and trauma and fear were such a part of my day-to-day for so long that I then was becoming numb, just Mm -hmm. completely. Nothing would surprise me, you know? And at the same time, I'm curious what you think about this too, because lately as I've been like, you know, turning 40 and looking towards next year, all these sort of like reflective times, you know, how do how do we show up and, and help people and do the work we want to do and help ourselves um, using that, using the sensitivities as strengths and not letting them take us down. Like, I just don't think I'm wired to be, to have a really big life. <laughs> Does that make sense? Not that no, like, yeah. I mean, I have a very full life. I have an amazing life. Like I have these amazing like soul sisters, like you people, I just randomly meet and then we connect our energies are just like, magnets and I have these kids and this husband, like I'm very grateful for my life, but I don't think I can hit anytime things have gotten too big or too much, or I have too much responsibility that in, that has a lot of people. It like really shocks my system. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Do you feel that same way ever? I, for me, um, I'm not really sure what type of life I well, I'm not going to say want, because it's not really yeah. about what I want, because what I want doesn't matter. It's about what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. The alignment. But I think for me, what I realized is that for me, in order for me to have a full life, I had to learn, and I'm constantly having to learn, that the only way that I survive is realizing that my happiness is cultivated from the inside out. Yeah. There's yeah. absolutely nothing that anyone can do or say from the past or present that can fill the void of happiness that I felt like I was lacking for so long. Mm. So my life, whether it's through the work that I'm doing and I'm not making, maybe I'm not making a lot of money or I'm not getting, you know, you know, the best of this or the best of that, as far as like material things, 
my wealth has to come in happiness, friendships, mm-hmm. love, um, devotion, like those type of things. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it's really it's important mm-hmm. for me to be going through this journey at right now because mm-hmm. I want to make sure that I spend, you know, the next year's getting to my forties, like where you are mm-hmm. hitting forty, where I've lived and done the things that make me feel good and mm-hmm. make other people feel good. Because I spent mm-hmm. most of my childhood and young adulthood doing things to be perfect for other people or what mm-hmm. I thought they perfection was. And mm-hmm. it wasn't that. And my mm-hmm. husband had to tell me, excuse me, last year that um, this is a projection. You're projecting what you think people want for you mm-hmm. to yourself. And no one said these things to you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? You are absolutely right. And mm-hmm. ever since then, I've literally been trying to live my life to where the happiness comes from the inside. And I've tested the waters where I've tried to put myself um, working, you know, little part-time jobs here and there that may not actually be something I want to do. And it never works. Mm-hmm. It always falls through. through. Every time I work somewhere that I really shouldn't be working, something happens where I can't work there. Mm-hmm. Or every time I try to put myself as a leader in something where I know I'm really not in the place to lead or want to even lead, something falls apart. So for me, I really had to learn that, like, it starts with me inside of me. And if I if I can sit with that happiness and have nothing else, like nothing, if my husband was to be gone today, mm-hmm. my possessions, everything, if all yeah. I had was me, I have to be able to cultivate happiness because that's yeah. that's what I lacked all my life is me. It was never just me, myself, and I. It was always me and everyone else and the mask me who mm-hmm. I was projecting to be performance in me. Yeah, I think it's um, like there's so many pieces that you just talked on. How do you how do you think about that in terms of I want to get back to a little bit of the imposter syndrome piece, like what that looks like specifically, what how that has shown up for you or in your research. And then what are the examples of what people could do with that of the women who are listening? And they're like, oh, I keep hearing about this, but I don't really know what that is or I don't really know how it shows up. And then what do I do once it shows up? So the first thing, the first main like red flag for imposter syndrome is um, downplaying yourself. Mm. So if someone gives you a compliment, instead of just saying thank you, you say, oh, well, a lot of things happen. <laughs> oh, I just do these things on. Or, you know, I could have done better. Or instead of just, just being thank you, mm-hmm. forcing yourself to say thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is not celebrating and I talked about this in the presentation mm. I did we do not give our time ourselves to celebrate our blessings mm-hmm. we get a blessing and then we're right on to the next project mm-hmm. immediately well we got to do this next and you just got this you know I just you know aced this or I just did this big event now and then you start working on the event for next year no you don't you need to celebrate that you did this event and relish in that achievement and wear that achievement and then go back and work on the event for the upcoming year. Um, Another thing is stop seeking instant gratification. Um, (laughs) Social media has made it so easy for us to post something (laughs) and we are constantly going back to check to see if someone responded or liked it or how it's going to impact others. One thing I've learned is that the work that I do is to help people get free 
and it's not my job to chase down the people to get free, the information will reach who it needs to reach when it needs to reach them. And I feel like a lot of women who suffer from imposter syndrome, they are so concerned that whatever they're doing is not good enough because it doesn't reach the people that they think it needs to be reached. No, that's not the case. The case is that it's not for them. Mm-hmm. Not everything is for everybody. And, mm-hmm. and then another, and then the last thing that I think is important for imposter syndrome is understanding that no one is working double time to expose you as fraudulent. Mm-hmm. And that's something that imposter syndrome is really based in is the fear of someone outing you that you really don't know what you're talking about. Um, Miriam Hosna, who's amazing, I went to one of her retreats. She said something that I was just like, wow, it was so simple and profound. I know because I know. That's it. She said, if someone asked her, well, how did you know this information? She's like, because I know. Mm-hmm. Intuitively, innately, we have certain information, certain things that we just download, that we just know. And it makes us good at the things we do. Mm-hmm. So we have people who are great singers because they just know how to sing. No one taught them how to sing. They just innately know how to do it. How? It's just one of their blessings. And instead of being proud of being a singer, they're always like, well, someone's going to say I really can't sing, or they're going to catch me on an off day. Like, no, stop downplaying yourself. Mm-hmm. You can sing, you can sing, you can sing. That's just the bottom line. You know you can because you can. And I think that's a struggle that a lot of people have with imposter syndrome is that we get these blessings, we get these things, and we achieve these great feats, and then we, like, downplay it like it never happened. Mm-hmm. And it's irrational when you think about it because you're literally experiencing euphoria, but instead of allowing yourself to fully be a part of that euphoric experience, you're too busy worrying about people judging you or saying that it's not real or saying that you didn't work hard enough for it. Mm-hmm. Or you're too busy thinking about what the next euphoric feeling, trying to chase that high. Just enjoy the high while it's there. Because you only feel it that one time for that one, you know, activity. Mm-hmm. Like, we all know what it feels like the first time you experience something. It may never feel like that again, but we don't allow ourselves to really savor that first time feeling. Mm-hmm. Because of society, because of practice, because of patriarchy, because of just so many layers of issue of like not allowing ourselves to feel joy or celebrate it or letting it be enough. Yes. All of those things. And then another thing that really, that people don't realize is that our childhoods really indicate how we view our achievements. So for me, I can use myself as an example. I was always pushed to have to excel. So in my mind, I thought in order for me to be loved, I had to excel. Mm -hmm. So when I became an adult, it was never, I, I was never satisfied. Because I never had any, like, people say, oh, you're doing a good job. But to me, I'm like, it's, it's not good enough. Mm-hmm. So I have to keep pushing myself and pushing myself. And a good analogy I used to give people about myself is I w- I'm a car and I have a full tank of gas and I'm driving, 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 doing everything I can, driving around, putting miles on my car. I run out of gas. So I just start, I take a wheel and I just start rolling because I don't need gas for the wheel, but I keep going and going. Instead, for, instead of stopping to get gas. Mm-hmm. I can't stop so I mm-hmm. keep going the tread comes off the tire I'm allowing the metal to just run mm-hmm. against the ground run 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 until it's nothing but dust and then 
And only then am I just like, okay, <laughs> I must have done enough now. Mm-hmm. Instead of when my gas, gas tank gets on half, I'm just like, okay, I've done enough. This is great. I've done a great job. It's time for me to take a break and refill myself back up. I do feel like that we are, and this, again, could just be because I choose to spend my time with women who have these conversations <laughs> and listen to women and talk about women and study women who talk about this. But I feel like the more we open this up and we're honest about it, the less likely we are to pass it on or continue it. Mm-hmm. And that right now in this like stage and era of awakening feels like the best gift is kind of just acknowledging like here is a pattern that's gone on for a long time for so many women and now we're talking about it which doesn't mean we're not going to experience it in our own lives (laughs) it's just hopefully Mm -hmm. and also I think as a parent like being able to have this conversation with you and being able also then to watch it in my own daughter like my language of how I parent her will be um it it already is more inclusive of who she is instead of what she produces. Mm -hmm. And so I know that she'll be in therapy for other reasons, but I hopefully it won't be because I didn't see her or I didn't show her love when she didn't work, when she, you know, just for working harder, just for outcomes. Exactly. I'm sure there'll be lots of other stuff, but hopefully this will be an area that, we can do better. And I don't blame parents and like generations before us, because I think they were doing the best they could with the information they had. We know so much more about psychology and spirituality and how our minds and mindsets grow and develop. And so we can now sort of point to, okay, families of origin, if you only give rewards at this moment and this time, and you only celebrate this type of achievement this is what happens to people, mm-hmm. right? Um, do you want to talk, can you share what you feel comfortable sharing with um, the, a topic that you, t- you touched on for a minute about mental health and spirituality? Sure. Um, also, I'm very transparent. I'm an open book, so there are no, there are no holes bar- bars. Like, if there's anything that anybody wants to know about me I'm okay with expressing my views and opinions on it um because I feel like you never know what what can help someone um so I suffer from um well I'm not gonna say suffer I have because I'm not suffering I have bipolar 2 bipolar 2 disorder and I also have post-traumatic stress disorder due to like childhood trauma sexual abuse emotional abuse and physical abuse Uh and um what I've noticed through my therapist, who is an amazing Black woman, very spiritual, mm. focuses a lot on cognitive therapy, on how to rewrite the narrative and rework the brain to really get you thinking about the way you look at your life. Um, through therapy and her kind of, not necessarily pushing me, but like taking me back to the roots of spirituality that I once had before mm. um, innately. Um, I've noticed that that's kind of helped with my mental health. I noticed that it's easier for me to deal with my manic episodes and depressive episodes and triggers and stuff because I've done the healing work mm-hmm. that is spiritual. So the cutting of cords, the shadow work, the inner mm-hmm. child work, having those hard conversations 
with family members that a lot of people don't want to have. Um, mm-hmm. But I have to have them being able to really master communicating how I feel in a way to where no one is less confused. And through working through crystal, with crystals, using um, oracle and tarot cards, and um, different just spiritual modalities have really assisted me with being able to free myself in a way that I didn't know was possible because I, that was my only dream as a child is being free. I always considered yeah. myself like a caged bird. Um, and there was this Bible verse that I used to love that said, um, if only I was a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. And I used to always recite that to myself when I was in high school and I would like always say it to myself and say, when I get older, I'm going to get a tattoo of a caged bird. It's going to have this quote or whatever because that's how I feel. And finally, I'm in a place where thanks to my therapist introducing me to spirituality and mm. pushing me to go that route, I'm in a place where now I'm free. And with that freedom, I've been able to provide a service to others who may have experienced either similar traumas as me or have mental illnesses and just trying to explain to them, like, there's more than one way to cope with mental illness. Mm-hmm. It's not a, it's not a, either you pray or you're on medication or you're spiritual. No, it could be all three. You can literally make a cocktail of your own treatments, whether they're spiritual, medical, Western medicine, Eastern medicine, um, religious, whatever. You can make a cocktail of whatever treatment you need that can assist you mm-hmm. with being stable and balanced and grounded and comfortable because that's what mental health is all about, is getting yourself to a point where you can bring yourself back to to ground zero, bring yourself back to being um, rooted and grounded. Um, and that was very hard for me. I had to do a lot, a lot of work, like a lot of work to get there. What are your, so are, do you still have manic episodes or depressive episodes? And how does your spirituality, like, are they, does it help with, is it less intense? Is it a less of a duration? Like, what does that look like in your life? Um, well, currently I am coming down off of a manic episode. Okay. So for me, um, I'm able to identify it better mm-hmm. now. Um, and some of the things that happen when I have a manic episode is that I wake up during like the witching hour, as people call it. And that's when I do my best work. Mm-hmm. That's when spirit, in my opinion, speaks loudest to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I also notice that a lot of times when I am manic, it's when some of my best work is done. Um, mm-hmm. when, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm depressed, <laughs> yeah. when I'm depressed, I'm very low energy and I don't really have the productivity. Uh-huh. Um, when I'm stable and balanced, I'm able to do the same work that I would do if I was manic, but uh-huh. at a pace that is safe for me. Uh-huh. When I'm manic, I'm trying to do everything fast. Uh-huh. So it doesn't allow me to really savor the moment and really enjoy it. But when I'm like grounded and stable, I'm able to do those things and then savor the moment as well. So one thing for me that's really been helpful is that I use a lot of crystals to help with my bipolar disorders. Mm. So, um, lemon quartz is a really good crystal for depression. So I mm-hmm. like to keep that beside my bed. Mm-hmm. I keep amethyst beside my bed to protect me from psychic attacks because I know I have bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. And I don't want my bipolar disorder um, to allow me to choose ego over spirit and think that certain things that I may believe or feel in that moment are rational when they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I also use a lot of aromatherapy, so scents. Mm-hmm. Me, so like lavender, lemongrass, frankincense. Um, those really assist me with kind of grounding myself um, and really being able to like focus. Because mm-hmm. when I'm having a manic episode or when I'm having a depressive episode or I'm just depressed, it's sometimes hard for me to focus. Um, so I have to do that a lot. Positive mm-hmm. affirmations, um, a lot of different meditations. Transcendental meditation does me justice, like every time. Um, binaurial mm-hmm. beats, mm-hmm. the frequencies, that mm-hmm. is very helpful for me, especially mm-hmm. when I'm depressed. Mm-hmm. When I'm depressed, I, I listen to a lot of binaurial beats because it resets my body. Mm-hmm. So those are just some of the spiritual things that I do when I'm in those episodes. Mm-hmm. I have to use my toolkit, and I'm aware of that. I'm very logical. Although I have these disorders, I know what's going on. Yeah. I'm aware of it. Um, but the goal of my therapist was to get me to be so self-aware that I can attack it when it happens and cope. Yeah. Because I, wa- because I wasn't coping. So my episodes were much longer yeah. than before. So now they're much shorter and I know how to work through them and I can get through them quicker. Uh, but before they could last for months and months and months. Mm. So I would be depressed for years and years and years, and I wouldn't be able to pull myself out of it. Mm-hmm. Do you have any sense of triggers for either the manic or the depression? The mania or the depression? Mm-mm. No. They're not trigger-based. They're, They're just, just unknown. Yeah, it's just yeah. chemical-based. Yeah. Um, my therapist gets on me a lot because I'm not very good at tracking my mood. <laughs> and she's always like, you have to track your mood. Yeah. Um, well, I was just curious also if it's aligned with moons or your own cycle. Oh, no. Through the month and what you, you know, again, just curious of the layers, you know? For for me, um, because I have a very, like, well, not anymore, but I used to have a very irregular cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, So it wasn't, it doesn't, like, my cycle really doesn't align with the moons Mm -hmm. um, that much, and neither does my mood. Mm -hmm. Um, Mine's just more so just, like, I feel like it's just, like, an chemical imbalance, and I feel like a lot of times, like, life stressors, like, there's a lot of stress coming my way that's when I'll go into a depression or a manic episode. Yeah. Um, so, like, if someone dies, and then on top of someone dying, I lose money. And then on top of me losing money, I get sick. And then on top yeah. of, so the pile-on can send me over. Um, and that's just the main thing. Like, I have to be very careful about how much stress in my life. So right now, I don't have any children. And I know it's not safe for me to have children right mm-hmm. now because I have so many life stressors. I'm very sick. My husband was laid off, but he just recently started working again, mm-hmm. like living with my in-laws. So that was a transition. So I have to be realistic. Other people are like, oh, you should just have a baby because you mm. live with your in-laws now. And I'm like, that's not safe mm-hmm. for anybody. Right. <laughs> it's not safe for me. Right. It's not safe for the baby. Right. Um, so I have to be very mindful of my stressors. Yeah. And that affects the biology, even if it's yeah. not. Yeah. Um, and I think I've shared... I've definitely shared this with you, but uh, I don't know how much I've shared in public. I'm not afraid of it or or hiding it. It just has been so long ago now that it's just not something that comes up a lot. But in high school, I was diagnosed with um, stage two bipolar. And um, one of the things that I'm really, really curious about in my case, and this is the other thing that I think we don't know enough yet. I think we need to know more. And here's why. Because you can have someone 
And I was diagnosed when I was probably 16 or 17, but I was going through a tremendous amount of primary family stress and trauma Mm -hmm. and changes. And it had been building up for those first 16 or 17 years, right? Mm -hmm. Until like basically an explosion of just feel like I remember just feeling so uncomfortable in my body, whether it was running around like crazy and not sleeping. And I was like really big into shoplifting as my mania. So Mm -hmm. I would, that's how that would manifest or, and like skip school and do stuff like that or sleep. Right. It was like Mm -hmm. these extremes and this, these doctors in Connecticut, you know, the psychiatrist, I was at a social worker and then at the Institute of living, which was for, um, uh, therapy and mental illness. And they all diagnosed me and put me on medicine and were really just looking at what they saw presenting without digging into the holistic picture. Mm-hmm. So we weren't really talking about family of origin issues. We weren't really talking about food, what I was eating. We weren't talking about spirituality or community or connection or wiring, or using any of these wisdom tools, or feminine um, journaling, like more feminine practices that have less outcomes, right? We were so Mm -hmm. focused on intensive therapy, and like action items, like intensive therapy and medication um, to calm it down. And um, they told me that I would have it for life, and I'd be sick for life. And that I think when you're 16 is pretty disheartening. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually in college, I was with a therapist and I basically just was thinking, what am I doing? Like, I don't want to be on this medicine. I feel horrible on it. I don't feel like me. And I did something that people should definitely not do, which is take themselves off without any regulation. Do not do that. Anybody, <laughs> um, please ever. Um, but I, I like decided in that moment and at that time, and I must've been 19 at that point that I was going to figure this out, that like, I had to figure out what these connections were eventually. Like I was very, very sick, um, with allergies at this point also, which I now know is such a manifestation of illness and disease and like dis-ease of emotion, um, because I've the, the, all the more holistic training, um, and, found my way to sort of acupuncture and yoga and all these other pieces that I teach and love and believe in so much now. And what I've noticed is that, and I just was talking to my therapist about this last week, I still have a lot of, um, uh, manic energy. Like I'm still very energetic. (laughs) I still Mm -hmm. do things quickly and with like a lot of intensity, but there comes a point because I spend just like you're saying, Kaylin, like exactly like just there is a point because I spend time in nature and I have to meditate and I take like I um, do a lot of things to help keep it in a more healthy zone because if I didn't do those things it would be really dangerous I think for me for my pattern right and same on the depressive side like I have to move my body every day because it really helps me feel good and healthy and whole. And when I don't, or if there's too many days in a row, I start to feel stagnation. And that brings me under like a darkness. And I think it's why, you know, when you and I've had these conversations around this, um, 
around bipolar is that like, it's part of the reason why we can connect so deeply with people um, because of the shadow, right? Because of the dark, because we've been to those dark places. And I also see like our energy and our mania as like part of, as part of our gifts, as the way that we get stuff done is the way that we can contribute. So I, the past few years as I've been like writing in my journal about this and being more open and just having conversations about it, I feel like we have a lot of work to do in psychology and in understanding this disorder, this disease. I don't even know what to call it, to be honest, anymore, because it's not really a disease. I mean, it is, but it's also like, I'm glad this is how I'm made of this, <laughs> of these energies. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I look at it as such a, um, I want to learn more. I want our society to talk more about it because there, mm-hmm. it, it, there are, there is such a big spectrum of what did you experience? Well, what did I experience? And I think that we just, on the energetic level, I feel like we have so much more to learn about this. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. And I think that a lot of times, because of what the stereotypical bipolar disorder looks like, no one actually takes the time to really sit down and dissect what it is. Yeah. They just see bipolar disorder. So bipolar disorder too, people don't even really know what that means. It just means that our baseline is manic and depressive usually at all times. Like it's kind of just floating in the middle. Mm-hmm. But when people hear about bipolar disorder, they're assuming that your manic is going to be what they see on television. <laughs> yeah. Or what they may have seen someone in their family experience. They may not have even been bipolar disorder. It could have been so many different things, so many different factors. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and also bipolar disorder, what I've noticed it's not a one size fit all. Right, right. So everyone's experience is different. Everyone has different things. So I have PTSD attached to mine. So yes, obviously stressors are going to be Uh what are my triggers? Things that are stressed. What is stress? It could be anything. Anything that puts me out of my comfort zone can be be deemed as harmful or stressful if I do not make sure I take care of myself. Um, And I think a lot of times people have this perception of what bipolar disorder looks like and what PTSD looks like and what mental health looks like when the reality is that we are all one stressful moment away from being admitted somewhere Mm -hmm. everywhere Mm -hmm. everyone that walks the earth so we really have to be more tender and take a little bit more caution (coughs) when discussing mental health and understanding that mental health is not just a surface thing it's deeper than that just like diabetes just like um, heart problems, it's deeper than that. It's diet, it's environment, it's lifestyle, it's the way you think about yourself. It's so many things tied Love, in. right? How you yeah, express love. love. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. So many thing, it's so yeah. many things tied into how our bodies do things because our bodies react based on how it's being treated or what's happening around it. So the first 16 of your, years of your life were all over the place. So yeah. Of course, your chemical imbalance is going to be off. Why? Because exactly. life was all over the place. It makes yep. sense. But for them to say to you, like, you're going to have this forever. And it's, you know, just kind of almost like scaring you, in my opinion, is just not helpful. You can explain someone's challenge or illness to them without scaring them. It's very easy. Like, 
I have friends who've been diagnosed with different mental, you know, illnesses in our adulthood, and their therapists were very good at literally just explaining everything that that means and all of the options, not just one option. Yeah. Um, I think so. I I just think that spectrum and having like opening up, I think that's why I'm kind of a holistic health crazy person, not in terms of like rigid about what people should do, but because it made such a difference. And I don't even know how to talk about it now because uh, did I cure, did I have something that was not cured that I cured through alternative lifestyle, healing, yoga, embodiment, spirituality, all these tools, or did I not really quote unquote have it? It was just, I hit a wall and it created the imbalances. Did they go back to normal? Like, I just have so many questions. I think, I think, I think that one thing that I've been telling myself, especially as I've been trying to like use a lot of holistic remedies to assist with what I'm dealing with right now physically is that you never heal yourself from it. You learn how to manage it. Manage it. Yeah. So yeah, it could be very well. They couldn't misdiagnose you. That is also true. But if they didn't, let's just say they didn't. And you do have bipolar two disorder. You have just found ways to manage it healthily. And it's a remission. Like any other disease that goes to remission. And I think a lot of times people don't use the word remission for mental health. I don't know why. But like recovery Mm. is to recover to go into remission. And sometimes people have relapses. That's what having episodes where you have to go to the hospital or just having a manic episode is just a relapse it's no one's fault it just happens yeah and i think it's important for us to realize that like we can get to a point where we can manage the things that were dealt to us that were out of our out of you know out of our control and also realize that we're not attached like the fact that you've accepted this is what i have i like my manic energy blah 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 and I know that I need to slow down when I do this. And I understand that I'm experiencing these type of emotions and feelings because of X, Y, and Z. I think it's important for us to learn to really radically accept ourselves mm-hmm. for everything so that way we can learn how to manage it properly. Because once we learn how to manage things properly and find what works for us, it just makes life that much easier. Yeah. And Ayurveda, you know, I've told you about this, like it changed my life in terms of giving me the language, the tangible language around energetics. Mm -hmm. And okay, so if Pitta is fire and I have, I get so much fire and I get really fiery, I know what those really simple prescriptions are to take it down a notch, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and, and they tend to actually be things with water. So the baths or washing dishes or things like that are actually really helpful for pitta because of the cooling water, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so thinking about it in terms of energy and in Ayurveda, we talk about it like disease is when those, when the energy, when the doshas are out of balance or out of whack. And when they are in balance, you feel in your true nature. This is why I love it. I mean, I get the chills when I even talk about it because, Oh, so true nature of someone who has, who's made up of the elements in the way that I am has an intense fire, this pitta, this, um, intensity that can be, that can be really, um, beautiful in the world. And it can also be very dangerous. Fire can be, you know, used for transformation in many ways. Just think about all the ways we use fire and ways that can hurt and ways that can help. And same. And then the kaphic energy is really that more depressive energy is really, it, it, it can be when it's out of balance, just, um, really heavy and really lethargic and really um, <laughs> sensitive and crying and 
you know, that, that piece again has the same thing. It's really beautiful when it's in balance and it um, can be really painful when it's out. And so thinking about it in terms of these wisdom traditions, just knowing that we're like, not so unique, <laughs> like we are, but we're not like, yeah. you know, we've kind of, it's just, I don't know. And I think, you know, just having these conversations with you, like to be fully open right now, like my hands are clammy and my heart is racing because I've shared so much and I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing because I stopped studying the psychology of bipolar when I sort of like closed the door on the medicine and the doctors and walked away from it. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, if I've said anything that hurts anybody or that it goes against anybody else's way of understanding what they're going through, like that's certainly not my intention. And I think the more that we have these conversations publicly, hopefully the less fearful people will be about sharing them because all I can do is speak from my experience of it, you know, and, yeah. I, and again, I just, I don't want to offend anyone by say I, and the reason I'm so sensitive is in the past when I really got into yoga, I started saying yoga cured my illness and I cured it. And like, I got really sort of egotistical about it. Um, mm-hmm. and it offended people big time. Yeah. So I think, I think the, the word cure is, it, it gives it can give false hope to people and I think using words like managing yeah yeah and, totally and working through is always it's just the words it's just the words yeah it really is and like in the way that that sits on the body saying that you're managing it because then curing it means that it'll never come back and that's not true yeah and then that can cause stress in the subconscious where it's just like I've cured mm. myself and then one yeah. moment of a relapse or one moment of feeling like you know manic mania will like send you over the edge you're like no I thought I cured I thought I cured it when in reality you just learn how to manage it and manage managing techniques always change yeah well and (laughs) I sort of went all in like with a lot of manic energy into my yoga Like I became very addicted to yoga (laughs) and I started going every day. And I like, that's the ironic part is like anyone who was kind of zooming out would be like, no, sweetheart, you've just taken all of that energy and put it into something that's healthier than like drugs, alcohol, and boys and stealing. So (laughs) this is a healthier way for you to use all of that energy. Um, Okay, last little thing. I'm just curious about because of your experience in higher ed and what you were talking about with your, um, obviously, your work in academia, what do you think of Dear White People? Oh, like the show? Yeah. Have you watched it? Yeah, I like it. I think it's funny. Um, I mean, it's it's wildly accurate. I mean, Mm. so a show so it's exaggerated yeah it should be um (laughs) I thoroughly enjoyed it I think it's hilarious I'm also someone who likes comedy more than anything so I find comedy and things that a lot of people may not find funny yeah that's just how I am that's just my personality I enjoy laughing um so um so I just think it's important for people to understand that when I say I enjoyed it um, because although I am in higher education, a lot of the elements of the show are accurate. Yeah. Um, some of them are ridiculous, of course, but for the most part, I felt like it was a very, I liked it. I yeah. enjoyed it. 
Is there anything else you feel like, so the majority of our audience, you know, they are mostly moms who live in Northwest DC. What, is there anything you wish that we learned or studied or knew about um, that would help give more perspective? I think it's important for people to meet people where they are Mm -hmm. upon arrival. Mm -hmm. Um, Not what they have heard, not what they expect, not what they hope, just where they are. And I feel like that is what will allow us to do a lot of the really gut-wrenching healing work. Yeah. Is just meeting people where they are. You don't have to agree with them or anything, but just meeting them where they are and say, okay, this is where they are, that is fine. It's not healthy for me. I will remove myself. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it because it'll just make conversations easier. Yeah. You understand this is where this person is at. There's nothing like I can tell them my side with compassion and love without badgering them mm. with the information in hopes that they'll change. Yeah. That's all I have. Um, anything else you want to say? Any other important teachings for people? <laughs> Oh, I mean, one of my mantras, bend with the wind so it doesn't break you. Mm. And I think that's important for people to remember is that be flexible, be mutable, allow yourself to mutate, transform, change, transition all the time. Every single second, something is going to change. Nothing is going to stay the same. And once you accept that, life becomes much easier to deal with. You are so wise, my dear friend. I'm so glad you're in my life. I love our conversations and connections. And um, I just really value your, your wisdom. I'm really, really glad. Where can people read your blog and find you? So I want to make sure that they can do that. Sure. So my blog is youarealight.co. Everything's spelled out, youarealight.co. Mm-hmm. Um, my Instagram is at Kaylin. Coghill, so that's K-A-L-Y-N C as in cat O-G-H-I-L-L and then I also have a blog Instagram which is just you are a light and you guys can follow me on there and that's where I post a lot. I post more on my personal Instagram so if you're into like video content and stuff like that you can do that there if you want to ever book me for Oracle or Tarot reading mm-hmm. as well um what's the youtube channel that's is that new yeah it's new it's you are a light but i'm not really sure how other people find it because people are subscribing but when i google it i can't find it so it's under it's under you are a light but i also have a link for it in my bio okay cool so we can find it there you know i'm taking this 30 day social media fast okay (laughs) (sighs) it's very interesting it's very interesting Um, I will say that I miss you guys, like my soul connector friends who I love to, to see and be with online. Mm -hmm. I'm missing that. The good news is we text anyway off of that. So it's not, it's not like that's our only outlet, but I just am noticing that my life has gotten pretty small, um, again, since I went off Facebook and Instagram and I'm going back on, I imagine in December or maybe January, but it's also really sweet. Like there's like a sweetness to having a small life yes. Yes. <laughs> that I'm just really savoring and, and noticing. So um, 
I'll see you back online in a little while. Um, and I can't wait to look at your YouTube channel once I get back online. Yay, yay, yay. <laughs> back on I the social. The videos too. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love you. Take care of you. And will you come back on next of year? Course. Okay. Yay. Of course. Okay. Yay. You're the best. Thanks, thank baby. You. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Mm, my pleasure. Love you, girl. Take care of you. Love you too. Okay. Bye. bye.